Gather round. Gather round. Let's talk country. Hello and welcome to the Let's Talk Country podcast, the podcast where we have black hearts and party rednecks. I'm your host, Sarah, and I'm here with my mother slash co-host. Hey, I'm Mary Lynn. (laughs) Mama, can I ask you a loaded question? Sure. Are you a redneck? That depends. How are you defining that term? What is a redneck? What does that mean? That's a fair question. All right. So there's so many different levels and variations within the redneck population. Ultimately, I think rednecks are a lot like porn. (laughs) You know, it's difficult to come up with like a really good all-encompassing definition that works for everybody, but you kind of know it when you see it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. But, but now that I'm thinking about it, It's not quite how I want to put it even, because in all of our country music redneck research, judging by the number of times I've heard the word I in all of these songs, an important characteristic of being a redneck seems to be, at least partly, that they're self-identified and that they take pride in their identity as a redneck. Which brings us back to my question, are you a redneck? Well, I've been trying to figure that out. And I've decided that maybe I'm a secret redneck. I don't think I look like a redneck or act like one, but I do have redneck qualities. I'm low maintenance, not fancy. I don't dress up or spend a lot of time on my hair and makeup. I can, but I don't usually. I celebrate that I can wear blue jeans to work every day. I take pride in my work. I try to be direct. I drive a truck. Isn't that one of the main indicators of being a redneck? (laughs) Judging by the music on the radio, it is. (laughs) I drive a a truck when you were first born and up until we needed something bigger for the four of us when uh, Charles and Samantha moved in. I drive a truck now to haul Mm -hmm. our trash to the dump and grandma and granddad's trash. But I guess the clincher is that I have a few discarded appliances and toilet in my backyard even as we speak. So yeah, I'm a redneck. You want to make something of it? (laughs) Yes, I really do. (laughs) I want to make a celebration of it. In fact, perhaps even a four-part celebration. When I first asked you the redneck question, I think your initial response was that you didn't think that you were a redneck. And I started to kind of give you a hard time. I asked you to recount your latest encounter with a possum was that the one on the roof or the baby? I don't remember. The, we caught a baby possum in the house one time. You might be a redneck. You're proving my point for me, I think, here. <laughs> um, and then I asked you how many broken down lawnmowers there are in your yard. Now, we can both know the answer to that question and not say it on the air. But it's definitely more than one, listeners. <laughs> That's not entirely my fault. <laughs> I, no, that's true. It's not. And But as I'm poking fun at you, I'm realizing that I, too, own multiple lawnmowers in various states of disrepair. And unlike you, I live in an apartment where I am not responsible for my own lawn care. You might just be a redneck. <laughs> so I guess what I'm saying is those that live in glass trailers shouldn't walk around naked? (laughs) That sounds like a good plan. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think I am a redneck. I've been called white trash until last year. I was working a blue collar job. I hate sleeves. 
and I treasure my yard flamingos. My opinions are often shouted in spite of being unsolicited. <laughs> and I think that all seems pretty redneck. I think that's official. <laughs> well, a month or so ago, we got this idea that we wanted to talk about the usage of the word redneck in country music. So we built this enormous, but far from exhaustive, playlist with almost every song we could find about rednecks. And we started trying to pick out our favorites and finding common themes among the rest. And then we realized that if we took that approach for this episode, it was going to be three hours long and we were going to have to play 50 different song clips. And it was just too much. So instead, we submit to you, the listeners, part one in a series on redneck identity and country music. We will release parts two and three and maybe even a fourth as we write and record them. They probably won't come out right in a row because we have some guests lined up and some other ideas for episodes in the coming months. So just know that we are barely scratching the surface of redneck songs today. There are so many songs. So many. Let's take it on into the first verse. So in this segment, we will typically set the stage for what we're going to talk about in the episode. And because we're going to make our redneck episode a series, we're going to have to set the stage in a few different ways. So first of all, we would like to explain our playlist criteria. What went on to this ultimate country on rednecks playlist? What stayed off and why? So among the music we found, our only stipulation was for considering a song to go onto the list was that the word redneck has to appear in either the lyrics or the title or both. Now that didn't filter out a lot of things. We still had a lot of songs. We did. It was, it, again, it was actually too many. So we came up with three things that filtered some of them out. The first thing is that the song can't have the N-word in it. Songs like Rednecks by Randy Newman. You know, we've read articles about this. There's all kinds of discussion around the purpose that the N-word serves in that song and whether it has to do with point of view or satire, irony, whatever. Here's the thing. I'm here today to talk about people like Lyle Levitt and Brad Paisley. I want to have a nice time. The N-word does not belong in people's mouths, uh, in white people's mouths, and I'm not going to engage in a discussion on the nuances of the usage of a racial slur. So if it has the N-word in it, it's out. Criteria number two that would kick it out is that the song can't be by an artist who uses the N-word offstage. So we have tried not to include any artists who uses such language that we're aware of. If, if you hear something from somebody that has used that word, let us know. Okay. And just about that really quick, um, Morgan Wallen has a few songs with Redneck in the titles. And if you're familiar with Wallen, you'll probably also know that he was caught drunkenly shouting the N-word on tape back in at the end of January. And sure, one shitty night should not cancel him forever. But to use that word at all, much less as someone in an industry that celebrates mediocre white men while actively making the success of people of color more difficult, it is an incredibly serious offense. He got a slap on the wrist from his record label. They suspended him for less than four months. His music sales actually went up. And radio executives like Ron Meredith pulled listeners and reinstated Wallen's music almost immediately, saying... While nobody liked the behavior, we are a radio station, not in the censorship business. Tell that shit to Natalie Maines. 
Remember when the then Dixie Chicks said that they were ashamed to be from the same state as George W. Bush and got kicked out of country music for almost 20 years? Black artists have to fight to get any radio play at all, but Wallen shouts the N-word and gets even more popular? I'm just, I'm disgusted. I want no part of that. But if we've included an artist or an artist's song, and unbeknownst to us, he has made that a part of his speech on or off stage, we're just simply not aware of it. Absolutely. Yeah, it, w- it would be a mistake. And if you want to bring that to our attention, we're happy to hear that. The third thing that would kick a song off of our list is that, okay, there is a lot of hip hop out there right now. And a lot of hip hop that does contain the word redneck in it. I got a flat bottom boat and a four wheel drive, John Deere mower and a side by side. I always got some hooked up to my hitch. Yeah, redneck, redneck. So if we had included all of those songs, the list would be miles and miles long. I mean, they would have taken over the entire list. And we think that hip hop is actually pretty interesting and it's worthy of some discussion. There's some cool artists doing some interesting things. That's fine. But we have left the majority of those songs off of our Ultimate Redneck playlist simply because there were too many of that kind of thing and it started to all sound the same. Also, a lot of those bands are really heavy on the rebel flag waving and we're not super okay with that either. So those are the three things that would kick a song off of our list. So the second way that we would like to set the stage is that we want to discuss the histories of the word redneck. And I do say histories because I think there's one that's more well known and then one that's a little less talked about. And I had not realized, I had not thought where that word came from or the designation. I didn't think what had gone into that word even becoming. So I was glad that we that you did look into it. Yeah. Well, a lot of sources date the term back to just after the Civil War. Poor whites uh, working alongside formerly enslaved Black people in the fields. And post-slavery, Black field workers would generally wear these really wide-brimmed hats to kind of keep the sun off of their heads and necks. Pretty practical, smart garment. But poor whites were afraid of being mistaken for a Black person, and so they uh, issued these practical caps and opted for smaller, more woolen hats, which are very, very hot and gross. I can't imagine. So because they were racist, they got sunburns. Well, sunburns and stubbornness are continue to be associated with rednecks, and so often is racism. So there's that. It's all very unfortunate and very well documented. I read a bunch of scholarly articles on JSTOR with primary sources and everything, so I have no doubt that the sunburns on the back of their necks is in fact where the word redneck started. No doubt in my mind. However, there is another lesser known story about rednecks that casts us in a better light, I would say. So for this history lesson, I'm going to ask you to think about old-timey jobs for men. Train engineers, cowboys, loggers, miners, that kind of thing. Okay, so what do these guys' typical workday wardrobes have in common? Maybe a handkerchief to wipe their face, to get the sweat off their face. Yeah, totally. Yeah, a handkerchief or a bandana is typically tied around their necks. And as such, these kerchiefs became a symbol of the working class. So... 
coal companies were starting here in the early 20th century. Coal companies were intent on making as much money as possible and paying their laborers who were doing this dangerous work as little as possible. Not and like now, right? No, definitely not. But so one tactic that they used to make as much money as possible was that they would purposely hire diverse workforces and then keep the housing, the company housing, segregated to stoke the existing racism and mistrust between their white, black, and immigrant workers. So if a worker is concentrating on what they hate about their neighbor, then if like a white worker is vying for better paying jobs than their black and immigrant counterparts, the coal companies can get away with paying everybody lower wages. And that worked really, really well. So enter coal miner unions like the United Mine Workers of America started coming onto the scene. And as early as the 1910s, they were able to start turning these red bandanas that many miners were already wearing into symbols of working class solidarity that eventually served to unite miners across racial lines. Racial lines. Racial lines. Rachel. <laughs> That's a haircut. <laughs> it is. So workers would strike for all kinds of reasons. Unfortunately, sometimes white workers would strike because the black people were getting better paying jobs or something like that, you know, just dumb things. But sometimes they would strike for cool stuff, like to get the right to join a union, to get better pay, better conditions. And much like when they were working, miners would wear these red bandanas around their necks while they were on strike. So union miners and sympathizers were often sneeringly referred to as rednecks. Mm. But instead of being offended by that, they embraced it. You know, when when you're poor, language is one of the only things you have at your disposal. So wearing that word with pride really robbed their enemies of, of insult and also boosted their morale. So two birds, one stone. That's kind of like Hester Prynne wearing that A on her dress, that scarlet letter. Absolutely. Yeah. You're going to make a big deal of it. Well, I'll go along with you. And it's it's also, you can see the beginnings of redneck pride right there. Absolutely. I'm a redneck and I'm damn proud of it. <laughs> now, all of that is a vastly oversimplified account of minor strikes. And none of that is to suggest that the red bandanas ended racism or that they, you know, ended shitty labor practices. They definitely didn't. We're still, like I said, we're like we said earlier, we're still seeing a lot of that today. Those fights are still playing out. But I never learned about any of that in school, mm -hmm. you know? No. <laughs> that was not in the curriculum. And two, when we learn about things like the civil rights movement, right, white people, especially rednecks and poor whites, are very much the antagonists and the losers. They're the people slinging the racial slurs. They're doing the lynching. They're the straight up villains. And yes, the people who did do those things are villains. And it happened way too much and way too often. That's true. What we're not told is that there were poor white people who stood in solidarity with black power. We're not taught about the young patriots who were displaced hillbillies and rednecks and how they teamed up with the young lords and the Black Panthers to form the Rainbow Coalition. They're trying to put your words in your mouth make you put yourself in jail. But I want you people to stick together and I'll stick with Black Panthers and they'll stick with me and I know they will. I saw a Black Panthers movie last week. Their points are real good, man. Oh, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of them coming down the street and kicking my damn head in for them. Nothing I ain't done. I'm Somebody answer why? Why did why the man come down on us like that? Why? What you saying, brother, is the only thing about protecting people is about protecting property. Right. 
Right. You've been to jail for, baby? We're not taught about things like Bacon's Rebellion or rednecks in the context of the minor strikes. These are things that are missing from our education. Right. I never heard of any of that. I don't remember you girls having that in your classes. No. I want to come back to that idea in a second. But mom, I, th- I think we should talk now about negative redneck stereotypes that are holding us back. Things in pop culture that are kind of uh, casting rednecks in a, in a bad light. Before I hand it over to you, I want to pick my bone with Larry the Cable Guy. <laughs> this fucking guy. He's not even from the South. He's wearing a costume. He is doing a voice. There was another girl that I was in love with, and we was going to get married, but she wasn't going to take my name. So I broke that relationship off because I'm a traditionalist. I think they ought to take the name. Plus, I thought it'd be cool both of us named Larry. He is a character actor and an incredibly talented one, sure. But the fact that he parodied and oversimplified and piled on added fuel to this fire that absolutely did not need stoking. He made money, in short, hand over fist, by making fun of a group to which he does not belong. He's not a real redneck. And his his major contribution to the to the cultural zeitgeist is, get her done. Really? That's not nearly as good as, yeah, baby. Exactly. Thank you. It's not. <laughs> yeah, baby. And, and, like, that's what you're adding to the conversation. People assume that... Get her done is the rallying cry that a redneck uses before he does something stupid. And I'm not saying that rednecks don't do truly stupid things because on occasion we do. But if he was a real redneck, he would know that the actual rallying cry to do some dumb shit is, hey, y'all, watch this. <laughs> so, yeah, he he's not doing anybody any favors. A big middle finger to that guy. Well, in addition to not being recognized for the times that they were on the right side of things, rednecks have also been held back by pop culture references that reinforce their reputation, whether it's earned or not, of being backward, violent, stupid, inbred caricatures. For example, the movie Deliverance has set not just rednecks, but mountain people, country people, hell, the entire southern region back hundreds of years. I've never watched the whole movie, and I don't have a set date to, but so many people who have seen it especially those who are not from the South, believe the actions portrayed in the movie are common occurrences in this area. What you want to do with it? He got a little pretty mouth, ain't he? That's the truth. They believe the people who live here, particularly those who live in the mountains, are like the characters in Deliverance. Let me take this opportunity to assure our listeners who are not from this area that we do own and wear shoes. We've attended school and even graduated with degrees from colleges and universities. We did not make a practice of abusing outsiders in the ways portrayed in Deliverance. It needed to be said. Thank you. (laughs) Similarly, comic strips which ran and some that are still running show rednecks mainly mountain folks as dumb, mean, lawless, backward, that whole list of adjectives again, Mm -hmm. Um, old comic strips like Little Abner and Snuffy Smith. Those are the ones I'm talking about. Uh, Little Abner is a comic strip that ran from 1934 to 1977. It featured a big, brawny, handsome, dumb man-child and the woman who chased after him, Daisy May. Uh, Daisy May was beautiful and voluptuous and wore an off-the-shoulder blouse and a little short skirt. Um, Also central to the comic strip were Mammy and Pappy, Little Abner's parents. Mammy was small but forceful, and she ruled the roost. 
Pappy was shiftless like all the other men in Doc Patch USA where the comic was set. What is it? Must be some kind of fishing boat. Can't neither. It's a refrigerator. It sure is mighty handsome. Folks, you is all wrong. It's a bathtub. All the city folks use them occasionally. Are you incinerating that we unjust dirty? Um, Snuffy Smith is one of the title characters in a similar comic strip, Barney Google and Snuffy Smith which is set in the mountains of North Carolina. It's here? Wow, I didn't know I know, that. I was surprised about that. Yeah. Uh, this comic strip began in 1919 and is still being produced today. Um, it features Snuffy Smith, who's a shiftless, cheating, backward moonshiner. That's him, the laziest man in the world. <sighs> oh, I'm tired. Loisy got so many chores for me to do, I'm plumb tuckered out. From doing them? No, you dang digit from running away from him. And his family and neighbors in the poor, run-down, backward Appalachian town of Hoot and Holler. Lord. <laughs> uh, these comic strips and movies, TV shows, and commercials that were based on them or inspired by them project the residents of the rural South, in particular the Appalachian Mountains, as poor, uneducated, unlawful, naive bumpkins. Mm-hmm. And uh, the evidence I have for this <laughs> is that um, in the 60s, my mama worked in a souvenir shop in Chimney Rock, North Carolina, and my daddy worked for the Chimney Rock Park. And since the early 1900s, tourists have been coming here from near and far. Um, it's a beautiful area. Mm-hmm. We've got these beautiful bare rock cliffs, waterfall, rushing rocky river. It's a beautiful area. Um, mama says that some of the t- tourists that would come into the store and shop where she was working they would come up and ask her, where are the real hillbillies? Oh. Now, she is a hillbilly. She was born in that area. Right. She lived there her entire life to that point. <laughs> and they were looking for these Mammy and Pappy and Lil Abner and Snuffy Smith. Where were they? <laughs> they weren't expecting a hillbilly to be like this really cute, you know, fashionable young lady with like tall hair and a short skirt. And, <laughs> you know, she was... That was not what they wanted to see. And and didn't Granddaddy uh, tell people that uh, they would ask the dumbest questions? Yeah, like, they, uh, Chimney Rock itself is this bare rock formation, um, and it's awe-inspiring, really. But they would ask him, how did they keep that up there? And he would say, oh, it slides down every winter, and we have to pick it up, have to pick it back up in the spring. Takes the whole town to haul it back up there. <laughs> <laughs> really? Or they would ask, like, how do you get all them rocks in the river? Yeah. How'd, how'd they get there? That, that took a lot of placement. There was a lot of thought went into that. <laughs> like, oh, my God. And and we're the dumb ones, right? Yeah. We're, we're the dumb ones. Well, Kareem was telling me just the other day that he, like, within the last few years has seen a guy down in that area who, like, sits in a rocking chair with a no shirt on and a bib overalls. And you can pay him some amount of cash to take your picture with a hillbilly. I didn't realize I that. I didn't know that either. But he said he saw him, like, like in the last few years. That's amazing. And it's just like, yeah, you think we're dumb, but that guy is laughing all the way to the bank. You know what I mean? <laughs> he's, he's fine. So in light of what you're saying about the comic strips and, and mountain people and all of that, um, I just watched a documentary called Hillbilly. And it kind of helped me understand part of how these stereotypes got started and the, the, the purposes that they were serving. So one of the points that the documentarians make is that Appalachia has a lot of natural resources, right? We have timber and coal in particular, and it was to the industrialists 
advantage to portray mountain folk in a negative light to cast them as obstacles. So, you know, what's that? You object to industry coming and taking your land, mowing down your trees, flattening your mountaintops with no regard for your position in the world or the health of your ecosystems? That's because you're mistrustful, backward people who reject progress and modernity. Your poverty's your own damn fault. You know, that's that's kind of the, the feeling. Mm. And I think in the same way, right, the media loves to zero in on this image of the redneck as someone who votes for Trump, waves the rebel flag, uses racial slurs, and it's just gross. <laughs> and it, it works for politicians in a similar way, right? They <laughs> Look at these assholes. They vote against their own interests and they're racist. So what if they're suffering under capitalism? Serves them right. They're deplorable. They don't deserve your respect. Don't you hate them? Isn't it crazy how you have nothing in common with these stupid rednecks? It would be totally impossible for you to team up and create a party that actually works for working class people. I mean, when has that ever happened? Am I getting through to you, Mr. Beale? <laughs> right? Like, it's, it's this agenda. <laughs> well, what I object to with all of that is that they're painting an entire population with the same brush. We're all alike. We're all like this. Yes, there may be some people like that amongst us, but we're a diverse group too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and yes, there are too many of us who perhaps would fit into that box, but you know, we're we're working on addressing it one family member at a time. <laughs> I have actually broken up with several this very week, so <laughs> we're working on it. Yeah, baby. And I think the part of the problem is that not only are people outside of the South seeing all of this and having their existing prejudices constantly reaffirmed, but that's the way that we're seeing ourselves as well. Right. We're buying the feedback. Right. We're, we're buying into the story that we're being told about ourselves. And all of that is not to say, like I, like I said before, all of that's not to say that there aren't racist rednecks and that we don't need to address racism where we encounter it. We do. And we are. But... These negative stereotypes continue to flourish and self-perpetuate, and capitalists, industrialists, politicians, elitists are actively erasing histories where rednecks and city folks, white people and people of color have worked together, effectively robbing us of the opportunity to see examples of that cooperation, to see what can be accomplished through collective action, to see ourselves as part of the solution rather than as the entire problem. It's the system, y'all. Patooey. <laughs> okay, so let's slide on into the chorus segment. All right, so now that we know some redneck history, we've considered harmful redneck stereotypes, let's look at some songs that push back against those negative stereotypes that would let us see the redneck as something other than a conservative, racist, southern person. So the first song on this list for me is Camouflage by Brad Paisley. It's such a fun song. It's so good. I love it. It's upbeat. It's funny. And not only that, like so much of Paisley's other work, it really commits to a bit, right? He's, he's a real comic guy. And in this case, the bit is that camouflage makes stuff disappear. And in the first verse, we have the, the Chevy Cavalier that disappears when it pulls out of his garage. He pulled into the parking lot and everybody cheered. Is he gone and painted his entire Chevy Cavalier? Camouflage, 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 camouflage. disappear. 
second verse when they're posing outside in their camo prom outfits. The only thing you can see is our faces and our hands. I love the line in this song, in the prom verse, where he rides camouflage with corsage. I asked Jenny to the prom and her mom knew how to sew. So she made a matching tux and gown from duck blind mossy oak. We took pictures in the backyard before we went to the dance. And the only thing that you can see is our faces and our hands. Camouflage. 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 You should have seen the way it popped with her corsage. It's so delightful. We're going to have to play that. So good. And, okay, so those cutesy, innocuous verses that kind of glorify the camouflage as the unofficial redneck uniform, that would be enough, I think, for the song to make this list. But then, a few seconds later, we get this lovely acknowledgement that the stars and bars, meaning the Confederate flag, offends people. And the song speaker recommends camouflage as a replacement way to show your Southern or your American pride. Well, the stars and bars offend some folks, and I guess I see why. But nowadays, there's still a way to show your Southern pride. The only thing is patriotic, is the old red, white, and blue. It's green and gray and black and brown and tan all over too. I think that this verse is doing some work toward painting rednecks in a better light, right? We're not all rebel flag waving racist assholes. There's a little bit of introspection there. Not a lot, but a little, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and those few lines are this really lighthearted way of touching on something super serious. And in my opinion, it's a much more deft way of acknowledging what the Confederate flag represents than, say, the song he did a few years later with LL Cool J called The Accidental Racist. <laughs> that song is a very clumsy attempt to deal with racism in a serious way. And it, it just takes on too much, right? There's a lot of country music that deals really well and really eloquently and honestly with racism and all of that. Like, there's a lot of really great songs, and we're going to talk about those in a future episode. I'm for looking sure. forward to that. I know. Um, but anyway, all that to say, Camouflage is a lovely, fun, funny song that we really enjoy listening to. I'm looking forward to, to seeing big, loud, broken down trucks waving a camouflage flag from their truck bed. Instead of anything else. I love that. It's so good. Speaking of which, I think you have a special treat for us, Mom. Well, we'd like to play a clip that perfectly sums up our feelings about the Confederate flag. Well, it's from the Liberal Redneck Manifesto, Dragging Dixie Out of the Dark, that was written by the comedy trio of Trey Crowder, Corey Forrester, and Drew Morgan. Yes, they are a comedy trio very much in the tradition of the blue-collar comedy tour of the early 2000s, I believe. Right, kind um, of running in uh, Jeff Foxworthy's absolutely. footsteps. Absolutely. They love him, and they have a lot of good stuff to say about Jeff Foxworthy, but they definitely are updating the redneck you, image. You in, might be a redneck. Why in the hell does anybody ever put the American flag and the Confederate flag on the same thing at the same time? They were not big fans of each other. Yet many of the most hardcore pro-rebel flag fellers are the same dudes who scream about America. You don't like it, you can leave. It's my right as an American to fly that flag. Oh yeah? Well, buddy, let me tell you. Screaming about your rights as an American while rocking the Confederate flag 
is like arguing against gay marriage with a dick in your mouth. It makes no sense. That was the voice of Trey Crowder. We appreciate your insights, sir. Now we'd like to talk about Northern Redneck by Aaron Lewis. Who knew there was such of a thing? Who knew? <laughs> um, so I was learning in my Redneck minor research that it wasn't just Southern miners who wore the red bandanas. It's kind of unclear whether they started in Colorado or in Appalachia or somewhere else entirely, but they were used in mining strikes in Pennsylvania, Colorado, West Virginia, Kentucky, kind of all over, you know, mm. the, the redneck uh, kerchiefs. So Northern Redneck is so much fun because it also drives home this point that rednecks aren't just from the South, y'all. We have this like fishing, hunting, truck driving, rural guy talking about what it means to him to be blue collar and working class. And I think in the song, he's speaking directly to Southern rednecks and reminding us that what y'all don't understand is it ain't all about the Southern man. <laughs> what y'all don't understand It ain't all about a Southern man We got outlaws, we got hicks We got honky-tonks out on these sticks We love our whiskey and we love our homegrown God damn, it's so good to be home. We wear Carhartt, we don't wear suits. We wear square toes and Chippewa boots. And we all know where we come from. And we'll be right here when it's done. But then a little later in the song, we also get this line, we ain't that different, son, you and me, trying to make it in the land of the free. So it's, you know, trying to bring everybody together, but also remind you that I exist. <laughs> I like that he parks his Ford truck next to our Chevy one. You're from the south, straight out the trailer, fresh off the plow. You got your Chevy parked next to my Ford, and the color's flying high at your door. I got a shotgun, fill it with shells. You got a Bible, but I'll see you in hell. That different son, you and me, trying to make it in the land of the free. You hear a lot about Chevy trucks in mainstream FM country radio, and I, where are the Fords? They're up north, <laughs> apparently. Well, it's it's a really catchy song, and I like that it gives us, like I said, a slightly different flavor of rednecks and. You know, part of being a redneck is that you have a, a chip or five on your shoulder, right? And um, I think that the chip on the northern redneck's shoulder, part of it at least, is that he's often overlooked because he lives north of the Mason-Dixon. And, you know, I I wouldn't have known that he was northern if he had not told That's us. That's true. He has a hell of a twang, this guy. <laughs> Yeah, he, he could have come from around here. He sure could have. This song shows that redneckness isn't a geographical concept. It's not a north-south concept. It's more a rural-urban distinction. Mm -hmm. um, hunting, fishing, mudding, and general enjoyment of nature are more commonly accessible in rural areas. True enough. That said, I'm sure you can also find rednecks in the city. Working hard and taking care of your family and drinking beer, those are not confined to country folk. Absolutely not. Very good point. Okay, so this last song is called Redneck War, and it's by Ron Short. So now, if I said the words redneck war, what is it that you would think about? You might be talking about the American Civil War. That's kind of where my head would go, too. But 
This song, which appears on a two-disc compilation album called Music of Coal, released in 2007, this song is talking about the Battle of Blair Mountain, which took place in 1921 and was the largest labor uprising in the United States and the largest armed conflict since the Civil War. So I thought with this one that we might want to go through and give maybe more highlights than we normally would because it's not one that you can actually find on Spotify. I had to call in a favor to a friend to get this song (laughs) because I just couldn't find it anywhere. It's good to know people. It really is. (laughs) So the speaker of the song is talking about the terrible conditions that kind of prompted these miners to begin striking and, and the coal bosses and how terrible that relationship was. He says they'd work a man until he'd break and stand and laugh right in his face. Union men shot down in the streets. Children hungry with nothing to eat. They'd work a man until he'd break. And stand and laugh right in his face. The call went out, coal miners unite. Together, that makes me think about when we were watching Harlan County USA together the other day. Mm-hmm. Um, that one man, the one coal miner who was talking about his boss telling him to be careful with the mule. Yeah. And the miner was like, what about me? Are you worried about me being careful too? And his boss was like, I can hire a man to replace a dead man, but I'd have to buy a new mule. Coal mining was rough. 18 and 20 hours. Get wet, come outside, and be clothes, be clothes to stiff. They watch you like working a, a mule or a brute. I had the boss of mine to say one time, he said, You be sure, don't get that mule, no, no place where the rock will fall in on him. Don't take that mule to no bad place. I said, uh, Well, what about me? I was driving a mule in. I, what about me? The rock was falling on me. He said, we can always hire another man. He said, you've got to buy that mule. In <laughs> other words, you thought more of the mule than did a man. Jesus, right? Like, yeah, the, just the disregard yeah. for human life. It tells you exactly where you stand. Absolutely. This, this is why it's necessary to join a union and to get better pay and better rights and all of that. So we learn through the course of the song that the speaker is actually not from Logan County, West Virginia, where this all kind of went down. He says, we had to steal a train to catch a ride. I carried a mountain rifle by my side. Come to Logan County, make a stand. Live free or die, union man. We had to steal a train just to catch a ride. Carried a mountain rifle by my side Headed for Blair Mountain where we would fight Okay, I just want to clarify that line real quick. When I first heard it, I thought, oh, they hopped on a train. They, like, stole a ride on a train. No, no, no. <laughs> they did not just hop a train. Thousands of miners were marching toward Logan County. Impatient to get to the fight, says Wikipedia, some or all of these folks commandeered a Chesapeake and Ohio freight train. 
Now that's some redneck shit if I ever heard it. <laughs> hey, y'all, let's take us to your train to the fight. <laughs> and it's the only acceptable way of Cole rolling is to steal a train. Gonna go, go big. Honestly. Um, I'm glad you looked into that because I heard that line and I kind of wondered what it meant, stealing a train, but I kind of glossed over it. And that's just such a cool detail to know about. It's It was intense. Yeah, I'm just picturing it. It's, it's really cool. And so a little later in the song, you can kind of hear the dynamics between the strikers and what they call the company men, the higher ups like foremen or even fellow miners who were refusing to strike. Um, he says, them company men, they wore scars of white. Their hearts were black as night. Their pockets were lined with Judas pay, sent many a poor miner to an early grave. Them company men, they wore scars of white. Their hearts were black as night. Their pockets were lined with Judas pay. Send many a poor man to an early grave. And, you know, when he's invoking the name of Judas, right, that really drives home this point that it's a double betrayal. The company men were not only refusing to strike, but they were actually fighting against their peers who wanted to unionize. So, whether these union miners are getting overworked in the mines or if they're getting shot in the battlefield, the men in the white scarves are sending their miners to an early grave in more ways than one. And so then he talks about uh, 10,000 coal miners or more knocking on heaven's door. And this was a big fight, <laughs> like 10,000 guys. 10,000 coal miners or more. Knocking on heaven's door. We knew death, he ain't hard to find. We saw his face every day in the dark coal mines. The Union miners weren't really as well armed as the company men, and a lot of them were living in tents because they had been kicked out of the company housing. But the Union rednecks outnumbered the company men. It was like 10,000 to 3,000. <laughs> That's a big fight. That's it's a big, a big fight. And he, okay, so, and then he talks about that he wore the same uniform that I wore before when I went off to fight in that great war. But a rebel army is what Harlan said. I mean, Harding said. And so they dropped them bombs upon our heads. So these miners had fought for the United States in World War I, but their status as veterans didn't matter to the coal companies, the governor of West Virginia, or even to President Harding. The union miners were met with poison gas and bombs and police and just artillery after artillery. It was just so much. And those mountain rifles they were carrying were nothing to the poison gas. Absolutely. And what's more is that they sent in these troops, right, to quell the, the miners. And the miners, having fought in World War I, refused, many of them refused to fire on fellow soldiers. Mm. So even though they were on opposite sides, they were like, I'm not going to shoot this guy, you know? So it like, it really speaks to their, their values yeah. and the fact that they, you know, yeah. So unfortunately, that meant that Blair Mountain uh, was not a success for the miners. They ultimately lost that battle pretty soundly. And coal miners' unions weren't really able to get into southern West Virginia until the Depression and the New Deal and all of that. 
but the union organizers took lessons from that lost battle to turn future fights in their favor. It was it was a really, really instructive thing that taught everybody a lot. Very costly, but also in Harlan County, USA, you hear them harking back to that and saying, remember Blair Mountain, remember yeah. what happened, remember that battle. Totally. Yeah. Okay, and kind of the last point that I want to make, uh, we might play a few more clips of the song, but the last point that I really would like to make is that he says, you won't read about it in the history books. Don't believe me? Take a look. Some went to heaven, some went to hell. But I'm still here, this story to tell. You won't read about it in the history books. Don't believe me? Take a look. I'm old and I am gray. They say a miner's life is easier to take. Remember Blair Mountain, don't ever forget. Stand up proud when they call you redneck. I wore a red bandana tied around my throat. Redneck's Wally Reporter wrote, I wore it with honor and respect. Proud to be a coal miner and a redneck. A redneck. And I mean, that's kind of what we've been saying this whole time. Yeah. It's like, you really have to actually look for this history if you're want to find it. And in your average academic journal or NPR story or what have you, the history, if you're, if you're reading a history of the term redneck, you're not necessarily going to find anything about the miners and, and the unions. So. Right. And you don't get this battle, this struggle, this economic struggle is not presented as part of your history in middle school, high school, anywhere. Exactly. It's almost like they don't want you to question the way things work. Or get the idea that you could rise up and try to change something. Oh, my God. Well, that's, I, I, anyway, I really enjoyed listening to that song and um, seeing, seeing that side of the redneck. So let's go on to our second verse segment. And these are typically where we will say anything else that we want to say about the topic at hand. And today, I think we should use that time to briefly mention a song that doesn't use the word redneck, but that is still very relevant to what we're talking about today. It's called Blue Neck by Chris Hausman. And even though the song doesn't technically mention rednecks, um, it does illustrate the point that it's possible to have regional pride and identity without subscribing to the political conservatism that thrives in that region. I'm a good old boy with a bleeding heart, just a homegrown hick with a hybrid car. I think y'all means all, and I know we all just want to know that we belong. And there's a lot more color in the mix when you're loud and proud out in the sticks. I am what I am, you get what you get. Yeah, I guess I'm a red state. We really like where his head's at. It is possible to be a political lefty and have rural working class identity and to take pride in those things. And I think it's really perfect for this discussion too because it's as relevant for Northern or Midwestern rednecks as it is for the Southern ones. We love it. Thanks to listener Hannah for bringing it to our attention. 
And this is another example where Southerners don't have the monopoly on redneckitude. <laughs> I um, like that word. Can we coin that? Redneckitude? Yeah, yeah, I think that's a real word. It is. Um, this is Chris Hausman speaking up for the socially conscious Midwestern redneck in the same way that Aaron Lewis spoke up for the Northern redneck. Can a country care? Wanna see the glass ceiling chatter? Wanna see a world where black lives matter? Liberty and justice for just some of us. Ain't now the heartland brought me up. I'm a good old boy with a bleeding heart. Just a homegrown hick with a hybrid car. I think y'all means all, and I know we are. Yeah, so that's a good one. And now, I think we should go ahead and take it to. Bridge. <laughs> now, normally this segment is reserved for our tropes course, where we examine the song or topic at hand and check it for the common tropes that are found in country music. But since we're talking about more than one song today and we're going to stretch this over more than one episode, we are going to introduce you, the listener, to a game that you can play at home. And it's called Redneck Celebrity Bingo. (laughs) And how do you play Redneck Celebrity Bingo? (laughs) You have to say it like that. It's very important. (laughs) Well, I think you were actually the one who started noticing that a lot of these songs on our Ultimate Redneck playlist make reference to people that rednecks revere. So in light of that discovery, we have designed four bingo cards with redneck celebrities on them. And each card will look a little bit different and the celebrities may not all be the same on each card. So to play the game, we will share a link to our ultimate country on rednecks playlist. And then you and three friends can download these bingo cards, put the playlist on shuffle and listen for the names on the cards and see who gets bingo first. That sounds like fun. I like it. Okay, so will you share with us a few of the names that you've uh, come across in your listening that we're going to have on these bingo cards? All right. Um, Charlie Daniels shows up on multiple songs, so you want to get him on your card. Definitely. Um, Also, you'll find Johnny Cash, Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, you know, that whole group of outsiders. Of course. I mean, of outlaws. Yes. Uh, We also have Tanya Tucker. And Hank Williams Jr., also known as Elbow Cephas. Yeah, we'll have to have both of those on there because I... Okay, I, I think we can split those up. That's fine. Oh, no, I mean, like, we'll have to have Hank Williams Jr. slash Elbow Cephas because oh, people yeah. may not be familiar That's right. with right. that. So make sure you know who we're talking about. Exactly. And also Hank Williams Jr., also known as Old Hank. Sure. Um, Kid Rock, who is sometimes referred to as Kid. Mm-hmm. Leonard Skinner. George Strait. George Jones. John Wayne, and these two from the Redneck Manifesto, the Liberal Redneck Manifesto, uh, Levon Helm, whom they greatly revere, and Dale Earnhardt, who who many rednecks greatly revere. (laughs) Um, But the best part is the center square, the free space is Freebird. Yay! (laughs) Freebird! I don't know if it's still like this at concerts, but in my day, it didn't matter who was playing the concert, some redneck or usually multiple rednecks in the audience would holler out, Freebird! <laughs> maybe it's a song request or maybe just for the hell of it. Uh, yes, that is definitely still a thing that happens. I've heard it my own self. <laughs> we also, we do recommend playing for something ridiculous like a toilet seat trophy Um or maybe even just a case of PBR, that's fine. Um, if you've got 
extra lawnmower laying around. That's fine too. <laughs> you can play it as high stakes or low stakes as you feel like doing. It's your game now. Have it's fun. It's starting to sound a little bit like that white elephant Christmas party. It is. Oh my God. We could play for the pig jar. <laughs> we will post a photo of the pig jar, y'all. It's, it's a thing of beauty, I'll say. Do I have that? Is it mine this year? Oh, thank God. Okay. I'm getting the nod or the shake of the head from Kareem that we did not win that this year. Okay. So I guess we're pretty much done with what we have to say for this first installment of our Redneck episode. We just want to say thanks to some folks here in the outro um, and also let you know where you can find some of the stuff that we've mentioned in the episode. As always, we welcome your emails. You can reach out to us at Let's talk country podcast at gmail.com. We have a brand new website. Yay! It's called Let's Talk Country.com. Simple as that. That's where we'll post links to our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter pages. You'll find link to our Ultimate Country on Rednecks playlist, as well as other episode companion playlists. We're going to make sure that you can find all of the music that we talk about. You'll also be able to download the Redneck Celebrity Bingo cards there, too. So let's talkcountry.com. Go there. Super fun. We want to give a huge special thanks to Mr. Tom Pittman, host of WNCW's The Gospel Truth and Country Gold. Uh, we want to thank you, Mr. Pittman, for mining your country music collection for some redneck titles. Those were very helpful to us. To read more about the Young Patriots and the Rainbow Coalition, the book I referenced earlier is called Hillbilly Nationalists, Urban Race Rebels, and Black Power, Communist Organizing in Radical Times. That is by Amy Sunny and James Tracy. I also mentioned Hillbilly, which is a documentary directed by Ashley York and Sally Rubin. And we talked about Harlan County, USA, a documentary by Barbara Koppel. Barbara Koppel. Both of those documentaries can be found on multiple viewing platforms for rent or they come with your subscription. They're, they're out there. So definitely look those up. And as always, we want to thank our producer Kareem for setting us up to sound like superstars this is the first time that we've recorded in the same room. And it's it's a lot of fun. It really uh, is. I knew that podcasting was fun, but I didn't know it could be like this. <laughs> now, let's get some onion rings to watch TV. <laughs> well, that settles it, y'all. I'm a redneck mother, and my mother's a redneck, too. What can I say? <laughs> Bye now. I'm a redneck mother, and my mother's a redneck, too. That ain't nothing, Roger. Yeah, I'm a redneck mother, must concede to wear a red and blue hat and reach a lone star feet. I raised a crossbred chicken, goes quaggity cluck. Got a kicker bumper sticker on the back of my truck. Hey, I'm a redneck mother, and my mother's a redneck too.